Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, have a chance to meet with cool people every single week doing cool things and just really making a difference in the lives of people. Today, I have a pair of folks that are absolutely critical in the lives of the people they serve. These folks are working with patients nationally, people nationally who have rare medical conditions, serious medical conditions that don't have support groups. And this for them is the lifesaver. We're gonna talk about it. You're gonna wanna share this information. This may be something that you wanna learn more about. Maybe you can help in some way, but today is really all about people. So to help me tell this amazing story, I have Trish Morris and Neil Brown who are with Courageous Faces. This group stands out among any group that I've ever had a chance to visit with because of the unique nature of what they do. And I know that you're gonna find this inspiring. So um, without further ado, I just wanna welcome you guys. Trish Neal, thank you so much for coming in and joining me on the show. Thank well, you thank for, you for having, having us. us. Yeah. Know, almost in stereo. <laughs> yes. That was, you know, that's gonna sound great live, right? <laughs> thank you, it's gonna be yeah. awesome. You know, um, I had never heard of Courageous Faces, honestly. And that's probably, you guys are probably one of the best kept secrets that's out there. And that's the last thing we want to have happen. We want this to become a, not a secret at all. And so part of my mission today is to let you tell this incredible story as the advocates that you are for the people that you serve, the patients that you serve with Courageous Faces. So I think, Trish, with you being the, the founder, president, and CEO, would you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what Courageous Faces is? All right, so my name is Trish, and I am the president, CEO, and founder of Courageous Faces. We started it back in, the launch was 2015. We got our 501c3 back in 14. And the purpose of the foundation is to really improve the quality of life for people with rare medical conditions, diseases, syndromes, and their families to really impact how they are going day to day. You know, I was amazed as we were visiting before the show, there are, and I don't know what the, maybe you can even talk about this a little bit. What are the parameters of what something considered rare? But you shared with me, there are 7,000 or more, at least 7,000 of these types of conditions considered rare medical conditions that are serious. And only 5% of those have a medication associated to treat that specific disorder, condition, or disease. What's the deal? That's correct. In 1983, the Orphan Drug Act was passed, and that has helped. They passed back then, probably in the decade before, about 53 drugs. Today, they're, they've passed so many more, and COVID actually has helped in that area because the scientists from around the world, the medical people, all came together trying to figure out how to stop COVID. And so from that, there's some things that have even branched off where people are figuring out these are a crossover, this could help that condition. And there's 7,000, but that's roughly 3 million people in the, US, in the world actually that have a rare condition. Man, and so I gotta ask what originally brought you this? Because you were in high finance, right? I Correct. mean, portfolio management, Wells Fargo, exec, like you're killing it as most people would, would put the terms on, you're in high corporate world, high demand, doing all this stuff, and then you leave it 
to go take care of these people with rare and serious conditions. How did that transition take place? What was that about? It, well, to be really honest, it, my 25th year and I turned 50. So the numbers kind of lined up. And during all my career, my husband and I volunteered and we ran a special Olympic team. And what we noticed is that people that had a rare medical condition didn't have the population. They didn't have the group. They didn't have the resources, the support. And I decided when I retired, I wanted to start a foundation. I worked for another foundation for three years to learn some of the ins and outs of it. And then went off and started my own. It's a work in progress. We're learning constantly every day, different things, and it's been great. Wow. And I'll tell you, you have brought with you your media director, Neil. And Neil is so great because when I saw Neil, I'm like, oh, I recognize you. <laughs> Neil's been hopefully in, not post office wall or something <laughs> like yeah, that. Yeah, no post office yeah, walls. Yeah, Neil was a um, longtime face here in media on the on the television side with one of the monster channels, Channel Nine Network Channel, and um, did a great job for a long time. And I'm like, oh, how cool is that? That you're part of this, Neil. Tell us a little bit about what you do and your attraction to courageous faces. I think today. It is one of those situations as a setup where if we're trying to communicate, video is the way to go. I mean, it is with us, yeah, but when you look at a younger generation, that's about all they do anymore. And so, unfortunately, they're not reading a lot, they're not doing other things, but they'll watch some sort of video all mm -hmm. the time. I look at my granddaughter, she's watching TikTok far more than I think we ever would have expected and wanted her to do, but nonetheless, that just shows what the medium can convey. And so if they can't meet these champions, as we call them, in person, then the best thing that they can do is they can get to know them vicariously, watch how their lifestyle is, watch what they're doing. And they're, they have a tremendous spirit. I mean, anybody who meets Reggie, who's one of our most visually affected people that we have as a champion, you get to meet Reggie and all of a sudden he will win you over because he has such a positive personality. And he reaches out on social media and with his own videos and things like that to really comfort and to say to people out there who are having a hard time, hey, I know it's tough. I'm going through it. I know what it is like. I want to encourage you. And he keeps doing that over and over with other people while he has so many needs himself. And so it's when you can convey those kinds of stories to people, all of a sudden, they end up going, wow, I want to help him. I want to help some others like that who are in that particular situation. Because <laughs> like this morning, I was complaining because our coffee maker broke. <laughs> and you look at the people who are out there dealing with rare medical conditions, and that's nothing nothing in compared to what they do 24-7 day after day. Yes. So if we can convey that to people, we believe that they are going to be moved and out of the goodness of their heart, they'll say, I want to get involved. I want to do this. I want to make sure that this happens. Oh, so good. And Neil, you could have given your time, talents, and skills to so many things, right? Especially with your influence as a, as a, a personality, a TV personality and you chose this. What was your passion, your connection to this particular group or these particular types of people that have these rare and serious conditions? Well, I know it seems just like, well, this is what you would expect him to say. But when you get to know these people, they become 
our inspiration. Yes. And I mean, that's not just cliche. It is really true. The more we get to know them, we go, wow, how are you doing this? How are you pulling this off day after day when it seems so, so difficult for you to even maintain? The kinds of things that we take for granted is a major challenge for them in so many cases. So that's really, I think, the thing that pulls me in. And the rest of the staff, same way. We get to know them. We see what they're doing. And then we go, wow, you're in our inspiration. You're the reason we do this stuff. Wow. Oh, I'm getting inspired. We're just getting started. <laughs> Church, when it comes to that, you label that the people that you work with and that you serve, you label them champions. First of all, where did that name come from? And what does that signify um, to them and to the world? Well, we actually, when we started, we called them Faces of the Foundation because that's who they are. And one of our champions wanted to be called Champions. He thought that was a better fit. So we changed the name and everybody had voted on it. And, you know, it was their decision what they wanted to um, be called other than besides their names. So we changed it because of that. Wow. And when you, how, how many champions are you guys working with? And if, how do you pick someone? Obviously you said there's 3 million people in across the planet. 300. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant across all 7,000, across all 7,000, um, what do you call it, diseases that there were a lot of people. So there's 300 people or less that to be considered having a rare disease. Is that so one in 200,000 is what the U.S. goes by. Okay. Um, the Euro Europeans, they go by a, a different number. There are 300,000 people in the world with a rare medical condition. There it is. Okay. And actually, the sad thing is half of those are children. Oh. Half. Wow. Yeah. Is that because um, most of these rare and serious conditions, don't they just don't make it to the lifespan to become an adult, so they're not capable of that adult number growing because they don't have the service, the treatment, or like you said, there's no medication to help them. Is that why the predisposition? That's part of it, but the real reason has to do with money. You know, the NIH dictates where the money's going to go in the different conditions. And when you have somebody that's one of a million that might have a disease, they don't put the funds towards that because one person compared to something where there's hundreds of thousands of people that have something. That's where the money goes. And that's part of the problem. Um, they've made a lot of improvements. And I think we'll see more diseases being discovered. I think there's a lot more out than 7,000. Sure. But that's the, kind of the number that they use broadly. But the medical treatments and things, you know, most of these, they're not curable. They're something that these people will live with the rest of their just lives. Just manage the best yeah. you can. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of them too, just by their situation are in the shadows. They are not out yes. advocating for themselves. They don't, to really put it honestly, they don't believe in themselves very much. They don't want to go out in public. They don't want to go out and advocate. And then again, they look at the bureaucracy that's out there in front of them. How do they actually get through this mess to get some of the services that they need. And so part of the stuff, uh, part of the, the kinds of things that we do for them is that we try to advocate where we can in the areas, help them get through the bureaucracy, helping to unlock 
all of this morass that they have to go through, even to get basic services a lot of times. And so for the one Trish mentioned there who was in Oklahoma at a Superfund site, I mean, this kind of thing, just to get the services they need, took a lot of intervention on their part because they can't do that for themselves. Right. They're just not used to going through the bureaucracy and fighting to get their way through because it's not a popular disease. Most doctors haven't even heard of it, much less tried to treat it. Yes. Oh, that's crazy. So how many people are you guys serving right now kind of on the whole? And then if someone comes to you, do they, how do you select who's part of Courageous Faces, who becomes a champion? We go through a process and we've got actually a new process that we've started over the last year where we have an application people can send in. It's kind of like a make-a-wish where you send in the information a little bit about who you are. We verify that you in fact do have a rare medical condition. And then we work to get to know the family, the person with the rare medical condition. That's critical for us. And to really see what somebody might need, how we can benefit them. And then it, it, they stay with us. They don't go away. It's not like you know, Make-A-Wish, one of my favorite organizations, they grant a wish and then they move on to somebody else. And the person had their trip or they had their, you know, new TV or whatever they might have asked for, and then they're gone. Right. And with our champions, we they stay with us. We are there if they need help to get a job, do a resume, do a cover letter, talk to some employers. Uh, if they need customized clothing, if they need someone to talk to their doctors and, and help explain to them what's actually happening. So we do so many different things. We don't have any parameters around what we're willing to take on. We just take on what we can based on the funding. Based on your resources. Exactly. Okay. And so um, right now the total number, less than 100? Yes, less than 100. Yeah. yeah it would make sense that there's a lot there. Now, the, ideally... Do you guys have a, as a growth metric in mind, do you say our goal is to serve a thousand people, as many as we can? What's the vision of the organization? Well, Trish is really best on that, but nonetheless, I'll chime in. So I think the whole thing is funding. And we, she had an idea right at the first, let's take on one champion per month, if we can do that. And that turned out to be, a kind of a pipe dream. It wasn't realistic, but it showed the heart of the organization. Let's see if we can expand to the extent that we can get one per month and actually do something that changes their life. So that hit, and then COVID hit, and then all of a sudden some of those plans just go up into smoke and we go, okay, now how do we change, pivot, still keep it going, still help people, but do this with the lockdown? And that got to be a real challenge. But nonetheless, one of the best things that came out of there, even with Zoom, is that we said, if we can't do the in-person thing, what else can we do? And we started a thing for all of the champions that wanted to be on this as a Zoom call every week. And we got to know them at a depth that we probably would never have gotten to know them otherwise. We have a person who is one of our champions in New York City, of all places, and she is studying in order to be able to be licensed as a therapist and a counselor. And so she was the one who got this course from Yale called Happiness Course. 
And she was the one who helped facilitate that with all of our champions is in the middle of all these downtimes, what do we do to keep our spirits up, to keep the kind of perspective we need, to keep us moving forward instead of getting stagnant and staying in one place? And she facilitated that whole thing. And we had some in-depth conversations with the champions and they let their hair down. They really said, man, I'm struggling with this. And I, I'm just kind of depressed right now. What do I do? And so everybody rallies around and we begin to say, what can we do to keep your spirits up, to keep you moving forward and not let this whole lockdown lock you down? Wow. Let's overcome it. That is incredible, Neil. I'll tell you that if it's the same course I'm thinking of, that happiness course has yeah, been around yeah. a long, mm -hmm. long time. And they've done studies that have lasted decades about what makes people happy in relationships and contentment versus money and all that kind of thing. That's the one. Fantastic. Yeah. And so Trish, kind of tying to that then, how do you see the vision and the growth for you? Is it truly to get to the one a month? That's what you'd like to serve? Is that where you're taking it? Well, and as Neil mentioned, that was unrealistic. Um, part of it was we would have one new champion a month in a different state with a different medical condition. That was a little bit bigger than we could handle at the time. And the needs are greater than we expected. And we fill in in so many areas that weren't even on our radar. So, and we don't want to tell somebody no if they need help. They're trying to get a job. They want to go to college. They want to get a, their first car. Whatever it might be, we want to be there to help them. And to give an example, when Reggie's, um, his mother, who he's lived with his entire life, she passed away of COVID back in September. In April of that same year, so prior to her passing, one of his nephews, who was 30, married, had three kids, passed away of NF, which is what Reggie has, neurofibromatosis. When Reggie and the family got together, when his mom passed away, they didn't realize that the government would pay for a funeral if it was because the person died of COVID. And that was money they didn't have. So we were able to get that set up for them so that they didn't have to pay anything for the funeral. It was all taken care of by the government. Wow. Well, that leads me to a really, I think, important question from my perspective because you guys want to have the breadth of services that you do you obviously can't have enough people on staff to say we have a real estate expert we have a medical expert we have a psychology expert we have a you know we have a fitness expert like you, you can't have all those so how do you because you don't want to say no to any request how do you leverage resources in order to help these people across such a, a wide mode of needs beg and borrow <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it comes down to that. Well, we've got a great team. I mean, I'm so proud of the team we have. There's four of us. That's all that runs the foundation. We have a few volunteers that are amazing, and they dedicate their time when they can to help us. We do need all those different areas, and right now we're all wearing different hats. And if it's something we don't know, we learn it. We get in there, we research, you know, we find out about clinical trials and different things that they may not be aware of that could help their particular condition. And we just go full steam ahead and just deal with it. You know, my team laughs because they get emails from me at two and three in the morning because I stay up working. 
um, because there's so much to do. Yes. But we're so passionate about it. You know, social media, we're not good at. We already know that. And, and the marketing part, because we're so busy helping people, we're not really getting out there and making Courageous Faces Foundation a known name. I see. So let me ask you this then on that note. I, I hope this podcast helps change that. Actually, I really would love for that. Nothing more than that. When you guys are looking for a resource, for example, I'm just going to make something up. Let's just say someone has a, and this is another topic I want to get into, but if, if I'm, Neil, you'd mentioned it earlier, one of these people has one of these conditions and then, and it's serious and it's rare. If it's a cosmetic condition, maybe I have such a low self-confidence and such a low self-esteem and I worry so much because I get, I've gotten so much grief about how I look. I maybe don't go outside. If it's another kind of internal condition, maybe I can't work. It's just, I have no energy. I have no ability to do stuff. Either way, I can't make a lot of money, right? I can't, I, I'm not in a position to be financially fluent, but I have need a place to live. And I need to find groceries. I need all these services to basically have a standard of living that's not on the street. So all of a sudden, if I get into something and then I that, that ability, I, I all of a sudden get jammed up with rent, and my landlord's going to kick me out. Well, would you guys then reach out? Because obviously, if you're if you don't understand, because none of you are lawyers, and I don't know if anyone's a lawyer, but let's just assume for a minute, if no one's a lawyer and they need a lawyer, would you that guys then say, hey, let's hey pro bono lawyer, can you help us with this situation? Is is that how that would work to help expand? Yes, yes. In fact, one of our champions, we had a gala in Boston in 2016. And she had a little dog. Her mom was staying at her apartment, taking care of the dog while she was at the gala. And her little dog bit somebody on the ankle. Um, the dog weighed five pounds, but bit somebody on the ankle. And the size that fits in a purse. Yes, yeah, just when, a tiny, yeah. tiny little yeah. thing. And she got sued for over a million dollars. What? Yes. And we were able to find an attorney who did the whole thing pro bono and made the whole case go away because, you know, it, in some it was, states it's tougher to deal with yeah. because their laws are different, and this was in California. But this attorney was able just to prove that this person was just trying to get money and all of that. And, you know, that was a huge thing for her. Yes. She didn't know how to deal with it. And, and we had to learn as we went. Right, right. I can imagine. And I think one of the things, too, that Trish touched on was because we keep with them, their ages change, their needs change. We have a lot of them who started when they were, oh, like 10 or 11 or something like that. Now they're teenagers, and they are going through a whole different set of life circumstances than they were when we first started with them. Yes. And so when you look at that kind of thing, you say, that's why it's necessary to hang on because the crisis here or the need here is not the same as it's going to be in three or four years. And we have a lot of those who are just dealing with, okay, I'm a kid now. I need a couple of things to make me happy. Then they get into the teenage years and they have a whole lot more in their scope of reference to have to deal with. Right. You, you mentioned some of the two, Neil, earlier about the Zoom connecting point and mm -hmm. being able to have the champions talk with each other is that is that a big part of the program where they do find 
basically they, they find their cohort, their group, because they didn't find in Special Olympics, there wasn't enough to have a group. Yeah. Do you guys create that family where no matter what condition it is, they all banner and rally under rare and serious medical condition? Yes. We have had two galas. We had one in 16 and one in 17. We brought each champion and their family out for the gala. We bought them new outfits to wear. I mean, the gala was for them. It wasn't, it was certainly a money, you know, to raise money, but it really was for them, for them to get out and have a good time and be part of everything going on that they normally wouldn't be involved in. And in 17, we also did a workshop on public speaking and presentation. We had a, a company called um, Effective Presentations that did it for us for free. Mm -hmm. And we flew the, all the champions that were 18 years or older to Colorado and put them up in a hotel. And we did those classes, that workshop, for three days with them. They all got to bond and know each other and meet each other if they hadn't already met at one of the galas. And we do different things. We'll bring out different champions together for different things that we're doing. Or we travel out to see them, and maybe someone will fly out. You know, um, Hannah, one of our champions, she, when she was 15, she got a respiratory condition. And they gave her an antibiotic, and she was allergic to it. And you basically burn from the inside out. Oh, my. And Hannah got to know KJ, who was another one of our champions. He has since passed away, passed away in 18, who had Stephen Johnson syndrome as well. He had been in a fire when he was eight years old, his um, uh, electrical fire. His dad was able to get him out. His mom and, dad, his, mom and his little brother passed away. And he was in the burn unit getting taken care of. When he got out, they gave him an antibiotic, and it, it killed a lot of things inside. He lost one lung. His other lung was down to about 25%. He went blind in one eye, only had the vision out of a corner of one eye. And that was from an antibiotic. So these things happen. They're, they're out of their control. Mm -hmm. And we step in to see what can we do to help them and their families. What's going to make a difference? You know, we, we're changing somebody's life. And as Neil said, but we're there as this, their life goes on. So the support that you guys provide is knowledge, it's resources, whether it be financial or otherwise. And there's this connecting of the, the people involved. You, I was looking through the website and I saw something that just reminded me when you talked about this, this three-day seminar on public speaking so that these people can not only help understand and bring light and awareness toward their condition and towards your foundation, but also to help build their own confidence, right? Like if you can speak in front of people. That is key. It's key. And so I saw this Just Ask Institute. Is that something that was spawned out of that workshop? And Neil, I would imagine that you would have a huge part in the Just Ask and helping people learn how to become better speakers or presenters. Well, we had a professional presenter who goes all over the country and does that. It was just before I came on board. So I see. if I can help, sure, I'm glad to do that. But that actually took place just before I joined. Okay. And it was so good because he knows all the tricks of the trade. And he was able 
to literally transform them. I mean, there were transformations that took place on people who were, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I, no, I'm, I, I'm not getting up in front of anybody. And they all did it. And they all began to just blossom. You watched. Well, I didn't see them in person, but I saw the videos as they progressed. And I thought, wow, this is something else. You talk about something worthwhile. This was it because they became different people going through that workshop. And so now that things have opened up, I mean, I definitely would think that's something that you guys would want to continue and you know, yes. to yeah. get those folks to be able to share their story because it helps yes. at so many levels. I think it helps their healing, number one, to be able to talk about it and be okay with it. And then it brings light to the condition and to courageous faces. And like you say, transformation is yeah. amazing. One of the things that Reggie said that really got to me, and it wasn't what I expected to hear from him, is he said, I don't want to go out in public and it was, okay, I know what's coming because people will look at me and they'll stare and they'll do everything else. And he said, because I don't want to scare small children. Mm. It wasn't about him at all. It was him saying, I don't want to hurt other people because they're not used to seeing these kinds of facial, I hate to say deformities, but definitely it's different. Yes. And his look is so much different. Uh, for people who haven't seen the website, and I almost don't want to make this comparison because they'll think the condition is the same, but if you watched Elephant Man and you saw Elephant Man, you knew how much it affected his face. It's a different condition totally with Reggie, but it's that kind of dynamic that is taking place out there in public with him. And <laughs> Trish had to intervene in a situation where, you want to tell him the Uber driver story? So Reggie, this was a couple years ago, Reggie, he goes to quite a few doctor appointments. Um, they are always checking to see if the tumors that grow on the nerves have become cancerous. He was waiting for an Uber, and he got the message on his phone, Uber's on its way. He walked outside. Now, Reggie has a 50-pound tumor on his lower leg in addition to tumors on his face on the left side. And he was standing by his door, and he saw the Uber car go by, and he thought, okay, they're going up to turn around so that they pull up on the right side of the street so I can get in. He was walking down to the end of the driveway. The Uber driver pulled up, took a look at him, and took off. Oh, no, he did not. Yes, he did. He did. Reggie was devastated. So he called us and said, this just happened. And he was very, very upset. And we said, okay, Reggie, we get it. It, was, it shouldn't have happened. It was a bad situation. But the main thing we need to deal with right now, let's get you to your doctor appointment. So by calling around a couple of places, we ended up with the Taxi Club um, of Houston. They're owned by several partners. And I happened to get a hold of one of the partners and told him what was going on. And he made a commitment and said, we will pick up Reggie bring him back, and we will take him anytime he needs. Oh, my goodness. And so we pay for that. Anytime Reggie needs to go somewhere, he just calls them, and he doesn't have to worry that somebody's going to drive off and leave him standing on the sidewalk. Oh, that is, yeah. like, that just tugs at your heartstrings. When, when you look at champions like Reggie and the other folks in the program, what similarities and characteristics do you see because they're all overcoming adversity at the highest levels that most of us 
can never even imagine. We've never touched or scratched the surface of what they live with every day. But have you seen a certain set of characteristics within them as they're working through these adversities and challenges? We have. Quite a few of them have wanted to branch out, maybe do some modeling, whether it's print or whether it's commercial, um, maybe do some acting. We have one that has been in some movies. They're usually kind of horror movies where, you know, they're some kind of a, a demon, which I don't like, but it makes them, they're happy to do it. So they, the characteristics that kind of weave through all of them is they want to tell their story. They want people to know they have a medical condition and to understand that everybody's got a medical condition. You wear glasses, that's a medical condition with your eyes. But the rare conditions are the ones that really make people pause and step back. And these are the conditions that need the support and they need to have the funds to do more research. So for the champions to be able to tell their story to talk in public, to get their message across rather than it being some you know long drawn out story, to really get to the points and to be seen. We some of the ladies have done and and even a couple of the guys, we've done a modeling shoot where they we had a stylist come in, give them different clothes, the girls had makeup done, got their hair done, and we filmed them as models, we put together model sheets, you know, that they could send in. And it's those type of things. It's, they want to be included in the public. Um, many are very lonely. They're either stuck at home um, because they they're not mobile. Some of them work, some of them go to college. And they all really interact with each other, but it gives them the confidence to go out and go to college, to go get a job to do something on Zoom or the videos or whatever. And that thread of really wanting to tell their story is pretty profound through all of them. Oh, what? here's a question. You said something that really triggered a thought in my head. It's kind of a morbid question, but I think it, it really needs asking for the bigger picture. Among these folks, is there a higher rate of either depression, suicide? Is that part of probably? And, and yeah. I wanna bring that out because if we have an opportunity to help someone, if what they really need so that they don't end up in the condition of wanting to take their own life, because again, they're experiencing stuff that we can't imagine. So we can't judge what actions they take, but what we can do is intervene where we can. And if, if people hear and understand like, hey, this doesn't end well for a lot of these folks, then maybe it will motivate them to want to do something right. to help. So is that something that you guys see? We do. And it's also their condition, because there may not be any treatment, and there's not enough known about it, they may pass away early. Um, people that have primordial dwarfism, they're very small, uh, their voices are very high-pitched, and the typical age, it's gotten a little bit better, but was 18, and they would pass away. Wow. We now have some that have hit 30, and you know we don't know. It's not because anything's come up that has changed their condition, but the quality of life, I think, is part of it, and the depression, like you were mentioning, that's all part of it. The socioeconomic situations that a lot of them are in, it's having people that accept you as you are and will help you get through, as Neil mentioned, those really tough times, and they all lean on each other, which is 
the most beautiful thing you can imagine. And depression is definitely the thing that they go through. And because of social media, a lot of times they have to pretend that everything's great and they're good and they're happy, and they're really not. They're home alone, they can't go anywhere, they, they don't have a lot of activities, maybe due to mobility, maybe because of their situation. And depression is definitely one of them. And the social media trolls out there, Ugh. we've heard for everybody, but especially them. And if they have a visible condition that somebody can look at, we've had trolls that, well, guess I ought to admit it. They say, you should just die. I was You're just so going to bring that up. Yeah. I was just going to, and here's the, here's the thing. I think that social media, it's, we, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle, right? That is right. what it is. And so now we got to leverage the tool. And I think for this particular group of, of people, you, they have to be so courageous to number one, put themselves out there on the platform, but there's no other way to get their story out. And because we can't, I mean, I would love for us to sensitivity train every human being and say, you can't get on social media unless you know and commit to how to use it correctly. That would be lovely, but yeah. that's not going to happen. I think really helping social media be the best platform to leverage their stories. And I, I was literally just thinking, as you were saying that, Neil, that the cyber bullying, I can only imagine on what's going on with that. And, and so um, what do you guys do for that? Because again, if you don't have a licensed psychiatrist, psychologist on the team, and they're calling you because you're their resource for things like that, or the depression that we talked about, and for all the reasons, how do, you, how do you navigate that with them? We find, for example, mental health, and just like with COVID, you know, a lot of people, and it wasn't just people with rare medical conditions that fought depression over the last couple of years because their life kind of turned upside down. We work with whatever insurance they have to get a therapist, to get um, a psychiatrist, to get, if they need medication, to help them navigate that and get them. We have one gentleman who, he lives in another state and he was very depressed and he talked to us about it. And so we said, you really need to, to see a professional, get some counseling. And we were able to find somebody that had a lot of similar interest as this gentleman did and was able to work with him. And he's still working with him today in his own state. That's amazing. Yeah, and I think in the gap, the good thing is that because everything is customized, we get to know them a whole lot better. And so we can kind of stand there in the gap until we can get them referred to the right people. But uh, I don't know, Trish has been on telephone calls, what, at two in the morning before and things like that. I mean, if they're in crisis, they call. Yes. And so you just have to drop whatever you're doing and go, okay, I know you, I'm hanging in there with you. I'm staying with you. We'll get through this. Wow. And uh, Dee Nichols, who is our administrative director, and Barb Ritchie, who is our um, outreach director, both of them and mm -hmm. Neil as well, talk to the champions. Everybody checks in with everybody to make sure everybody's doing okay. Mm -hmm. And so they've got that system in place. Not only are the champions talking to each other, they're also talking to us, and then we can navigate what needs to happen. And though we're not licensed counselors, all of us have had a lot of experience dealing with that kind of thing. Yes. And especially people who have been either disadvantaged in some way, have mental health conditions, any of that. Uh, so, yeah, 
at least we're there to hang them, uh, to hold on to them and have them hang in there until we can get them to somebody who can do some more de- in-depth. I think that's critical and crucial because they know you and they trust you, right? You've right, been with them right. from the beginning of your relationship. I would think, and I don't know, and, and again, you know, you guys do this every single day, but I would think a great lever that you all could have is if you, for example, we're a law firm, right? And we don't do all kinds of law, but we're connected. We do several kinds of law here and we're connected with lawyers that do all kinds of law. And so I would think that by making relationships with different people, let's say in law firm, you make a relationship with us and we say, when you have someone, if they don't know where to go and they don't know where to turn, you have them call us. Cause you would need that as, as I think of it in financial services, right? What to do if this happens in legal services in healthcare services in any number of services. And you, you get contractors in their cities and say, Hey, if you're, if you're doing this, help us out, right? There's, there's, there's win-win for this. Is that a big part of what you guys do is trying to find these connections with these people that now leverage your resources? Yes. You know, we start out um, as a foundation, you know, our funds are critical. We try to be good stewards of the money, but we go out and we try to get something for free, uh, get it donated pro bono. If that doesn't happen, we go for a discount. And at the end of it, if, it, if that doesn't work, then we just end up paying out whatever it costs. So for us, those relationships are critical. It's like with the taxis in Houston, you know, making those relationships where somebody will be there to help them do what they need to do. One of the little tricks too that we have up our sleeve too that we can do <laughs> is that whenever somebody partners with us in business, if they're at least ones that we can get to, especially local, we do a video story on them helping us out to help someone else out. And so it's kind of like a win-win-win all the way around. Everybody gets the positive publicity of doing that. And a lot of people in the community say, wow, if that business is doing that for them, we ought to pay attention to them. That's so good. Wow. So I got to ask each of you, what do each of you get the most? What's the most that fills your tank up from doing this work? Because both, it's it's your life. It's what you do. It's full time. Why do you do it? Like, what's that one thing that you get from it? I believe that we're all here to serve people and making someone else happy and solving a problem to me is the best thing. Having them smile and feel confident and good about themselves, helping them solve whatever the issue might be, that does it for me. Nice. And this isn't going to sound warm and fuzzy, but for me, it's leverage. Because the one thing that we found out in news is a lot of times you can use the leverage to change situations that need to be changed, that are unjust, that are wrong, that shouldn't be. And a lot of times by telling their story, we can tip the scale. And we can all of a sudden say, you were on the losing end, but because we were able to get this out to people, all of a sudden the scales changed. And that was something that got you what you needed and all around it's a win. That is powerful, powerful. And that goes back to our social media. Now that the video on the social media, yeah. that is the seesaw that the leverage is, is posted on so much. So as we wind this up, I got to ask, how can people help? So anyone listening to this, if they've, if this has touched their heart at all and, or they're more curious and they want to learn more, what can they do? Uh, is it money? Is it time? Is it act as one of these partners? Is it all of those things? 
And after you give that list of things on how they can help, how do they get a hold of you guys? So they can get a hold of us through um, our website, which is courageousfacesfoundation.org, O-R-G. And Faces has an S on the end. Um, they can reach us by phone. We have phone numbers on the website that people can call. You know, any one of us will answer. Neil, go ahead. Well, I think the other thing, too, is you can't overlook the power of money and funds to be able to, part of that, leverage what needs to be done for these champions that we have. But to come alongside of us, we have a program that we love to partner with businesses because two things happen. One, they support us. And number two, they learn a lot about these individuals that they get a chance to meet either vicariously or in person, and they go, wow, this is one of our causes. We want to jump in with this. We want to go. So it, it has a double effect, I think. Funds to help them out, and then the personally knowing these people, they're hooked for life, and they say, I want to keep this up. Whatever they need, we're there. That is perfectly said. And here's what I will add to that from everything you said, and I think it's probably piggybacking, Neil, on what you were talking about. If you're listening to this, if you have a, a business, if you have a skill set, if you have a talent, you should reach out and talk to them and see if there's a way that through Courageous Faces, you might be able to give something back to these people. If it's just helping, if it's becoming a, a discount provider, or if it's donating money. But if you have the ability to help, I would love for you as, as a personal favor to me and, and us at Ramos Law for you to just you know, see what you can do to make a difference in these folks' lives. So now I got one more question for each of you. <laughs> one more question. If you had one piece of advice that you've been given in your life or that you've learned along the way that is now a pillar of why life is good or what what's most important in life, what would that be? I think we all would love to have more money because we think that's going to give us happiness. But really, it's when you serve and see someone else's life change because of input that I have had a part of or someone I know has had a part of. I mean, that gives you goosebumps. And that is where real satisfaction is. If you can help change a life so that it changes their life forever, or at least for the circumstances they're in, wow, that's what gives you the kind of satisfaction, gives me the kind of satisfaction that it, it tops it all. Amazing. I agree. Trish? I would say compassion. You know, people that are compassionate have kindness that really will look at a person. You know, you see somebody in a wheelchair and people just look the other way. They don't want to stare at them. So that's what we were all taught. But saying hello to them, making eye contact, you know, that's what Courageous Faces is. It's about the face. That's where all the communication starts and ends. And we want them to be recognized. They're people. We're all people. Everybody has issues. Everybody has problems. And it's a tough world out there right now. It's not the, the nicest world um, that we're dealing with. And so to be compassionate and help people when you can, and whatever that means to you. But for us, obviously, the donations, you know, we've had some people that say, I gave up my Starbucks, and they send in a monthly donation. I don't need this new whatever, and so I'm sending the money. Those, you know, whether somebody sends in $5 or a million dollars, it doesn't matter to us. We know they're giving what they can, and that's what's really important, and that shows their compassion. Oh, man, those are good. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I've had the best time being with you guys yeah, and learning more and just seeing your passion and commitment for these amazing souls. And I can't thank you enough for, for coming out. I hope this drives a bunch of awareness your way and, and that people um, reach out, help fill the need. I know there's far more need than there there is, uh, you know, that we can meet at the moment, but we'll just keep struggling every day and grinding and working at it to, to make it happen. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank Continued you. success thank you. to you. This has been great. Thank you. Awesome.